My name is Tom Savage. You're listening to the uh, Five Star Podcast. Hope you had a good week so far. This podcast is going to focus on that game from Saturday evening. Um, it is going to focus on the uh, Irish under 20s in a broad sense in the aftermath of the Six Nations. And I'm going to cover the Ireland women's game uh, from the weekend as well. So um, I'm going to get straight into it. Hope you had a good week. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think that oh, there's also reader questions and comments that I'm going to put in at different points during this also. First things first. Um, on Saturday, I was there for Munster's really bad defeat uh, to Glasgow in Thoman Park. Uh, I was in the stadium live. I was covering it on the radio. Like... I think I've said this before, but in the aftermath of doing radio, like I am wasted for one or two days afterwards. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the nerves. Maybe it's the build up to it. Um, it's the maybe it's the talking for the entire game. Um, that kind of just tears my energy out for whatever reason. I think you add in, you know, the little uh, small little girl there who's. <laughs> dictating the majority of what I do over the last couple of months and uh, yeah energy in the toilet over the last couple of days and the loss doesn't help um watching that game live I'll take you back to before the game um normally I, I love to be in the stadium early if ever I'm working a game I love to be in there early up in the press box to get a look at everything so I come in I chat to a few people at the door go upstairs into the press section um which is cool there's like uh if you if you're if you're in that section on the on the the west end is it the west end trying to get a bird's eye view of it now yeah west end no east end (laughs) east end um there is a um lovely little section there there's a catering room for the media that i've never been in (laughs) because i don't know i think the idea of going there and just kind of eating sandwiches and drinking tea it's like I don't know. I think I've 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 got imposter syndrome when it comes to that. So I'm like, um, no, I'm not going to have any of your free food. I don't think I deserve it. <laughs> so <laughs> I just basically I sit up in the press section in the seat I've been assigned, and I just take it all in. Now, on this occasion, I'd work to do with the IRFU. I had to finish, so I was doing my AIL results. There was uh, a guy came up to me, and I was chatting to you. I didn't catch your name because I was in the middle of of what I was doing. If you're, you you are listening to this, thank you very much for coming up to me. I really do appreciate it. I always love when like fans of TRK or subscribers come up and say hello. I love it. Um, so thanks very much for that. A bit like the last guy who did it when I was down in Carcon. Um, I was just in the middle of a few stuff, and I, I can't concentrate on more than one thing at, the, at at any one time. I just can't do it. So sorry if I appeared rude or distant, um, or weird because I was in a headspace of trying to complete the work before I had to start my other work, which is the radio. And um, I was on with Don O'Sullivan, a great guy, loves his rugby, um, really good play-by-play guy, actually, is Don O'Sullivan. And um, yeah, just kind of started pretty soon after. And watching the warm-up, I just got the vibe that it just wasn't, there was something a bit off. Like, I was trying to think of the last time I kind of got that vibe, and it was the cast game um, from... I think it was, was it late 2021? After the South African tour that had ended in COVID and all this other stuff, um, where the vibes were just off for whatever reason, and it seemed to be the same here. Now, there was a very handy crowd there. Um, both ends were covered, but the stands, both stands were fairly full, both terraces were fairly full, and um, there was a, the crowd were up. There was a good crowd there. Um, but I just felt that um, everything seemed a bit hurried and rushed. Like, they got the team sheet wrong on the graphic. If you've been to Thoman Park before the games, you'll see them read out the team sheet. And it's the same uh, graphic that they have up on Twitter. The announcer will read out the names. And it's the rundown of the team on the day. On the day. But for whatever reason, um, it was the team sheet from the Ospreys game that had been in Thoman Park a, few month, a good number of weeks prior. 
So that was a bit off and a bit weird. I've never seen that happen before. Um, and look, that that's not indicative of everything of, of anything, but it just added to the sense of weirdness that was there before the game. And uh, when you add in then the kind of the there was no half lap, which I know they they, they can and like they have done on on certain occasions and not done on others. But it just felt with the last home game of the regular season with a big crowd in the door. I figured that it'd be a good thing for them to do that they'd be able to go around and get a bit of energy from the crowd because the crowd was up and they were want they were like they were wanting to get up for it. So uh, the game started and it was just had this again just this weird vibe all the way through where. Munster looked a little bit sleepy, a little bit lethargic, and when Glasgow took the lead, deservedly I would say, inside the first ten minutes, um, we just looked like we had, like we had nothing left. Like, and it's a weird like sometimes that happens. Like you were watching the game, or more than likely you've read the review of it now. It just has this weird um, energy about it where it felt like. It was like a training game, but like a bad training game. You're looking at it and you're kind of going, fuck it, we need to start this again or go home because this is useless. Like, they are a... I don't know, I, I think that the first half in particular, the way that Munster approached it, it just seemed that the prep was off. Or And sometimes that happens. Like, sometimes you start a game like that and one or two things don't go to plan and you're looking at your leaders and they're a bit down or they're not very vocal in some cases like like in Joey Carberry's sense and or and certainly I think in Jack O'Donoghue's sense also that that's not a very vocal on-field leadership group because your leadership group is always your 10 and your captain or if your captain is the 10 you'll have one or two lieutenants that are throughout the team or whatever else it'll drive guys on and you know what I mean by this um, there'll be the guys who'll be encouraging fellas who are always looking to be loud be vocal to be heard but to drive on as well you know like again like there's been a lot of chat about who you know who you put in and said it like if Jack who isn't the captain who do you make the captain and like there's dealing with referees which is one thing I think that Jack who has a a good way with referees as in he's a, a nice guy a polite guy when he's chatting to fellas he can get a good rapport with them I think I think that's the theory um, but like to a certain extent like there can be a number of captains on the team like there's the guy who speaks to the referee and then th- there's a guy who makes the decisions although that's just basically who tells the referee what the decision is and then there's the leaders the guys who are driving the bus I felt that Jack who might have been the captain but didn't really play like a leader for me on the field and um, I'm just going on what I'm seeing like he could be a fantastic leader off the field I like I honestly I don't know but I do know what I saw, and that wasn't a, a leader's performance for me. There was one moment as well where he was getting shoved around while he was talking to um, Penardi, the referee. And I think in that moment, you cannot allow that to stand. You have to get stuck into that player who's doing it. I think it was Vailanu. You have to get stuck into that guy. Because if you don't, I know the referee's there, but the referee saw what happened. So you can react to that free of charge almost. Um, that to me was like a sign like a backward step you don't never take a backward step against this Glasgow team they showed up pumped up they showed up ready to play they showed up with a level of intensity that we couldn't match in the first half you talk about things going wrong we were losing collisions uh, both primary and our breakdown secondary collisions over the ball were really bad inaccurate slow we weren't impacting guys we weren't hurting fellas we weren't generating quick ball we weren't generating the sort of like stage posts that we normally use to, to run our game around like Munster play a game when it's at its best over the last couple of weeks where we play a lot of phases and we have a lot of variety in the, the structures that we're using so we take teams for a walk and and we we have a lot of handlers we've got a lot of guys who can pass we've got a lot of guys who can you know have a bit of a change up where they are equally good carriers they force compressions and that when it works creates tries like the best half of rugby I've seen from Munster in a number of years was the first half against the Scarlets and the two halves that followed it were the worst I've seen Munster certainly since the days of Van Kron we had some bad performances then but these almost seem like a reversion to what we saw at the start of the season um I know I titled my my Wally ratings in the, the live stream after the game as, as a relapse that's kind of what it seemed like because like, I was there for those games at the start of the season. I was there for the preseason friendlies. Like, a lot of what we saw from Munster um, bad in those two games was present here. And it just felt that, 
and I think this is something that like that that's been true of Munster over the last number of of of, of weeks because like I mean what we've seen from the start of this season is a bad start a really bad start that we're actually still paying for now you know because there's only 18 rounds in in the regular season which seems like a lot in October but it's not that that not, not like not a lot really and like when I see how Munster um kind of turned it around what I saw in the first half against Glasgow was a return to breakdown not really working pass accuracy not really working and guys playing like individually like in defense but in in attack also like a lot of my focus on this game was on Jack O'Donoghue and it was on Joey Carberry they weren't the only two the only two guys who played poorly but I look at those guys as leaders in this group your captain and your 10 and I'm I look for those guys to drive you on so any performance that you look at for Ireland or any team that you have an interest in really you're looking at your 10 to drive you around the field you're looking at your captain to one interact with the referee and and to win you things with the referee you're not there to chat to him so you can fucking exchange whatsapp numbers and chat about the game after you're there to influence him you're there to win penalties you're there to win favor for your team to help you win the match and i felt that like when, when we're looking for our leaders to stand up in that game in the first half in particular didn't happen and like I, I think some of that comes down to personality types i don't know these guys but from the bits i've seen of them on field they don't seem like massively vocal players um jack who is a guy who i think can play a really good lieutenant role like i think he's a guy who fits in and when there's a a guy there to drive him on i think he plays better not your captaincy especially in a game like this suits him as you know a guy who's going to drive it on against an aggressive opposition it has a bit of spite and a bit of needle with that was a game for peter romani i feel especially against scottish opposition um that was something i felt that you know watching the first game uh, like the first half back again that's something that stuck out to me throughout that you know leadership wise we weren't great but like on field like breakdown accuracy wasn't where it needed to be as a result with the collisions not being great the breakdown not being great monsters attack just doesn't function and like that's something that is true of every team really you lose collisions and your breakdown's rubbish every team will look like will, will look like shit like that's a that's a fact so like that's not something that i'm overtly concerned about like i said on the radio on monday morning um on joe nash on live 95 that um i felt that monster didn't throw a shot i said that on twitter he was looking at my twitter weirdly enough it was just like joe nash follows me on twitter um but uh basically he kind of put it to me on the radio and he said that that seems to be a fairly um stiff charge to throw at this group and to be honest i would prefer to think that monster bottled this game because to think that yeah we're we're the type of team who should be losing 28 nil at halftime to glasgow warriors that that's something that we should just accept as being okay that's what we were about that to me is tougher to accept than to look at at a group that you know you had a big game a game that could nail down home quarterfinal or at least go a lot of the way to do to, to, to getting it certainly nailed, nailed down qualification for europe big crowd after a two week two week layoff um two i think a three week layoff um and to come back in and do it i would prefer for them to have just bottled that first half like that to me is easier to accept that they didn't show up mentally they were up they were off there were a few percentage points off that they needed to be they weren't in the right frame of mind as a result they got blown off the field and torn up and they were torn up and they were honestly like they would have had to improve three or four times to be second best in that first half like uh, glasgow were accurate they kicked really smartly like their halfbacks played really really well like ours like patterson and crowley had a stinker collectively a re- like as in it, it felt like at times that they were barely talking to each other like there was a moment in the second half where i think it was right after the restart where monster were looking to kind of come out there and make a big fucking statement early on we're going to get back into this game we're going to score early we're going to put pressure on the board and the first exit looks like there was a miscommunication between patterson and carberry like like patterson was expecting a call and didn't get it and then was in a hurry and flapped at a at a box kick exit and it was rubbish glasgow took it up and uh we got the ball back but th- that was not the start that we wanted and like at halftime like i tell you 
like I was sat down we had to do our, we were doing our halftime analysis we had to do it three or four times by the way I'm not sure if that came across on the radio it felt like every time we started there was, there was a pause after the ads we started talking and doing analysis but then we started hearing the ads in our ears again so we're just like wait we're not are we live <laughs> so we ended up having to do our uh, our halftime analysis I'd say three times at least well, at least three I think it was four um, but like there was people who were getting up around us and like sometimes people were getting up to go for a pint and come back these people were not coming back <laughs> they were getting up and they were leaving they were disgusted with that half and like th- the attack was one thing but like defensively like I mentioned there about communication between Patterson and Crowley uh, defensively it felt like all of our reads were wrong like we weren't folding Glasgow went after our our alignment post scrum a couple of times where um, if we're defending a scrum like we go hard at that scrum the last guys up are our front row they then will file to whatever side the ball isn't so they will head back into that line we were getting shockingly bad reads from Malachi Fekatoa in particular went on a massive defensive loop route where he was running around the other side of the field to guard one player on the other side of that ruck it was uh, Vailanu who was the only guy over there five guys were guarding him on that side Glasgow had stacked on the other side so like as long as their hands are accurate like they were scoring a try and the one chance we had was guys not making individual reads that are off their own back Dave Kilcoyman firing after the 10 didn't get him landed a shot in him but the pass got away and they scored into the hole where Dave Kilcoyman would have been had he not done that so look I think that there was lots of stuff that was off there where there was guys were getting their backfield arrangement wrong there was guys miscommunicating on like is in they were they were they weren't reading Ali Price they were thinking you know because you'll, you'll see them like when guys are making reads right that's your defensive captains who are reading what they see in front of them and giving communication to the other team your wingers are very important both of your wingers are very important here because they will look at and they'll let you know where the alignments are so if Glasgow for example are all stacking right you don't want to have a whole ton of defenders stacking left you'll want them to be over there so you'll see them pointing balls going that way plays flowing that way we're okay here fold get over um monster weren't even getting good reads on that where you had jack o'donoghue at one point like i'll tell you this i i thought about this coming out of the game afterwards because i was walking down behind tyke burn who's a fucking huge man by the way in person like <laughs> whenever i see him in person the first thing i think of is wayne pivak going uh, yeah, mate, he's not uh, not not big enough for uh, for the second row at test level. And I'm like, uh, he is fucking colossal in real life. <laughs> so how big must those guys at test level be? And like, uh, when I was coming out, I was just thinking, like, uh, I think I think I heard his girlfriend something sneeze or something. I was just like, D- is there a flu going around there or something? <laughs> Do these lads have a fucking stomach flu? Because that's the only thing I could think of that would go any way to explaining how that first half was so fucking bad like then i settled on well look i just hope they bottled it because the alternative is is that they just forgot how to play fucking rugby like they've had been playing for the previous couple of months and uh that would be alarming so yeah like that that, that, like that was my thought coming out of there but like defensively look it was just not great you know and i think that that kind of stuff you can work on because look there was guys losing collisions they were falling off tackles which happens right but um glasgow were rotated this was not a strong glasgow team but they were piecing us up in contact and like i think this game laid bare like problems that have been there for quite some time and that are i know are a real priority for Munster going forward is in that our 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 front row our, our front five in general we were giving up a ton of size again to glasgow here like look at that front five from glasgow you had uh, Fraser Brown, multi-captain international. You had Xander Fagerson, multi-captain international. I think he went on a Lions tour. Uh, you look at Scott Cummings, multi-captain international. The guy who playing Six Nations rugby up until, I think a couple of weeks ago. I think he got injured, but he was playing away fine. Then you look at J.P. Dupria. Not an international, but he's six foot ten, Massive wingspan. Looks like the fucking Slender Man. But the Slender Man who's been in the gym for a couple of months. Um, that type of, of of size and power, like we were behind the eight ball there straight away, where we have guys like 
uh, Dave Kilcoyne, who's been good this season, but he really had a bad first half. You know, physically, like he was able to truck up into these guys, all right, but like Glasgow realized fairly early this dude wasn't passing, so they just double tackled on him. And yeah, look, it hurts tackling Dave Kilcoyne, I would suggest, but there wasn't much in the way of compressions being forced there, you know, like. And then you look at Dermot Barron, good player, certainly has improved a lot this season. But he's still a guy who's giving up a fair bit of size against most teams that he's playing. Uh, Roman Salanoa looked wrecked, looked tired. Um, can't work out why that is. He's an explosive guy usually, but he was off it today like a lot of guys were uh, on uh, on Saturday. Then you look at Finney Witcherly and Jean Klein. Now, Jean Klein had a decent game, but again, it just looked like himself and Finney and Jack O'Donoghue was that line-out jumping core just hadn't played together ever before in their lives and they have um like Finneen it's like it's not a problem with Finneen literally like he had some really good carries in that first half he tired a bit as the game went on but it just felt that we were constantly giving up size in that middle area of the field where we were not running Glasgow over the line like they were able to double tackle us and like get good low contests in at the breakdown never really looking to win a breakdown penalty but we had to clean them and they were allowed to do so by penalty a bit look a bit of skullduggery there as well but we were very weak there you know we were the, the level of aggression the level of violence wasn't what it needed to be for me uh, in that moment so look that bad like, like the first half is as bad is as bad as it gets um second half look monster didn't start great i think conceded a drop goal to make it 31 that was actually the game there because like a 28 nil right you could go right that's four tries we score four tries we'll be level with them we can score four tries like if we score a try every 10 minutes we'll draw this game right and you go that's doable <laughs> i know it's stupid maths but that's doable like and if monster got a good start we'll say out of the first five minutes score a try it's backed into three tries because you know how, how how numbers work um but like that'll give you an idea like you, you then if, if monster have two tries in the board by the 50th minute it's game on especially if there's only if you're only 14 points back then at that point it's game on crowd will be up glasgow will be tiring after a very intense half they did look a bit tired after a very intense half they'd have to rotate to their bench where they've got a lot of size but not a whole ton of experience monster will be bringing on rg snayman craig casey alex kendallin um, and you know you can start building from there and uh, it just didn't work that way when they got that drop goal to make it 31 nil um, that meant that it was exceedingly difficult to get anything out of this game um, but even then we made a decent fist of it Craig Casey came on and changed the game I criticized Paddy Patterson here in my, my rating of him which I can't really remember what I gave him now but um, look that was not a good performance from Paddy Patterson and I think it was mainly not a good performance just because himself and Carberry who should in theory be a really good fit just again look like two guys who hadn't played with each other before and I think that that's look I think that happens sometimes for whatever reason sometimes players are a bad fit sometimes players who don't seem like they should be a good fit end up being an excellent fit um but they just didn't work together and um one player made the other player worse if that makes sense and uh like I said a lot of my criticism in this game uh, fell on Joey Carberry I, look I didn't feel he had a good game I, I gave both himself and Carberry uh, or and Patterson rather a, a two star game which I felt is fair enough like Carberry had one or two decent moments he ran a couple of good uh, loops he ran a couple of good uh, you know passes off the screen but other than that like I mean we're not looking at a guy who's driving Munster on here like do you know like I said, there was a, I think was it Patrick uh, in the secret club was kind of saying that it's to do with him being from from Leinster I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think that Joey Carberry, and I'll tell you this, like nobody sold more t-shirts for me uh, in the year after he signed than Joey Carberry. Those Munster's own uh, t-shirts sold so many of them. He was so popular, like <laughs> ridiculously so. The height of the popularity was that Gloucester game where anything to do with Joey Carberry was getting tons of likes this was in Twitter back then right like he was ridiculously popular and then the injuries happened and look injuries happen and they take something from from you like they do every injury if it's a long-term injury you come back a changed player rarely for the good 
some guys adjust their games end up being incredibly good as they go on like Peter Romani for example had a very serious knee injury but came back grew into it of course but look he's playing outstanding rugby now and has been for the last couple of years um like you look at that and you go look I I think that out of all the players I've criticized over the last number of years I think that um certainly post Keatley um the one guy I criticized a lot as a 10 was JJ Hanrahan who's only from down the road here um so like I think with Joey he's a guy who I feel because look I was talking to a player uh, and I was talking to a coach on the Sunday um, who I've been looking at getting interview series done for the summer and getting some content done in advance just so I can take a week or two off um, in the summer months. And like I was talking to them about the game because they were asking me like, as in, you know, you were at that game. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, uh, you know, how was it? And I was just like, how was it in person? Like, and I was like, yeah, you know, pretty bad. You know, it just felt that Munster were playing kind of dumb rugby for the majority, you know. Like there was opportunities for Munster where we probably should have kicked and kicked long down the field to try and pressurize Glasgow, but we just never really did at all. Like we just almost, I'm not sure whether it was the plan or the guys were there and just didn't get the read or whatever, but um, we were talking a little bit about Carberry. This guy is a, plays pro in England and I was talking to a coach in France also. Um, and they were saying, both guys said, um, that it just feels like Carberry either isn't confident in himself or isn't confident in the guys that he's passing the ball to. Like, tens or playmakers or whatever else will have a pass they love making. They'll have a guy who they love passing to in a certain position. They'll repeat it, something that they'll do over and over again. They love that pass on the crash to, you know, whoever it is, Bundyaki or, you know, like the the, the, the crash to Jamie Roberts for Wales. Like, they love that. Um, But... Like, there are guys when they're not used to playing with them, or you don't quite get the scheme you're playing. Like, I feel that Joey Carberry is a player who always needs a hitter who's inside, on, or sorry, on his, on his immediate outside shoulder, and maybe a hitter on his inside shoulder as well, so that he then can play off the pinch. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like if you're trying to pinch something and it's trying to slip out of the way when you're pinching it because you're applying pressure from both sides. That's what Joey Carberry wants to do. Um, with Jack Crowley outside him and with Shane Daly running on his inside shoulder. Shane Daly's a good player, but he's not a massive hitter either. Um, that left Joey Carberry in a position where he couldn't really get separation or space. Now, we were in between two stools there where we have Malachi Fekatoa, who we had to play at outside center because Antoine Friche was injured. Um, so that meant Jack Crowley gets in at 12. We want to get him as many minutes as we can because when he's playing at 10, as he was here in this game, he looks, he gets the exact same reps as a, as a, as a 10 would, except at the set piece, which is where I felt that we were a little bit almost running default plays as if Malachi Fekitoa was 12. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think that Carberry is a guy who I have big expectations for. And like I said, after that game, like for him to be hooked after a really bad error when Munster were starting to make mount a comeback actually unlikely as it would have been it was on and he threw a bizarre pass to Gavin Coombs that was forward coming out of his hands so even if Gavin Coombs who had to dive to secure the ball even if he didn't dive and knock it on himself when he was doing that that was still a knock-on that was still a a forward pass rather and it was just baffling in the moment why your 10 chooses to do that yeah, it looked like there was a miscommunication there where the ball bounced off the restart, but it seems like Kendall and the other guys got a call from behind him. And Carberry just seemed to panic when he got the ball. Should have kicked it, in my opinion. Easy for me to say. But you see a mistake like that and you're going, God above, what are we doing? And then we can see the try straight away after that and that's game over. At that point, we're looking to get four tries to get the bonus point because otherwise it would have been 5-0 which is bad. Now, five, not that five one's any better, but that point could be really handy for us. We need three points to qualify for the Champions Cup next year from the next two league games against the Stormers and the Sharks down in South Africa. We need three points from those from those two games. We have to get them. So, like, that's something that we are, like, that's the, the, the situation we're in. We needed to get that. If we, it wasn't that, we'd need four points. So we'd need one win. Now we need three bonus, three points, which could be 
two losing bonus points and one losing bonus point and we're in which wouldn't be the best way to be limping in but it gets us in there and that's all that matters but like at that point it was losing bonus point territory at the very best or four try penalty whatever it was we were not winning that game after that try in the second half from Glasgow and it was a sickener and Carberry came off straight away afterwards and it, it, it was weird like because this was happening throughout the game where it seemed like lads weren't talking to each other they weren't reacting to each other until Craig Casey came on he was interacting with guys geeing people up getting stuck into guys getting a bit of energy prior to that it just seemed like a bunch of individuals out there which again look that happens as well where you it's like enough people have an off day where you're playing like shit and you're going well look it was one of those days because so many guys are off for whatever reason you can get away with two or three guys being off you can carry that you can get with two or three guys being off and then one of your leaders being off you can get away with that mostly against most opponents but in this one it seemed like the majority of guys just weren't in the right headspace or were coming in tired or frazzled or not what not like not where they needed to be i think that's the reality you know um i gave one star performance to jack o'donoghue one to malachi fekatoa and i gave one to dave kilcoin dave kilcoin had like i said had a few good carries um scrummaging wise was just in a really bad place with xander fagerson um jack o'donoghue again as captain i need him driving things on for me but so many errors you know there was that there was a knock-on which happens it happens but like you just kind of don't need your captain doing that and i just felt he got shoved around a bit bullied a small bit that can't happen your captain in toma park unfortunately uh malachi fekatoa felt he was just very poor you know he's been improved over the last number of weeks um but i felt that outside center didn't suit him i felt that that would really suit him but like you know a number of errors defensive reads were off um got manhandled in defense as well at one point led to a big break for glasgow i think they actually scored their their drop goal from that um and look again just very poor and i don't think he'll be i think he'll be much better at benetton for whatever reason it just doesn't seem to be working out consistently here although i would prefer to see him starting at 12 with Frisch at outside center against the Sharks. Um, Anton Frisch has gone from being a guy who people were saying who um, back at the start of uh, or in April last year to being Jesus Christ, where's Antoine Frisch? Why is he not playing? Um, he's a vital guy for us. He's fit. He's traveling down to Durban, left today. Um, but yeah, look, I, I just felt that without those guys um, and I felt that my, my, my star performers were Calvin Nash, who I thought was fucking outstanding, scored an unbelievable try but he was making line breaks he was beating guys he was looking energetic looked like he could like looked like he could scorch guys with the right pass really improved this season he's been so good john hodden i gave a four-star performance because he was getting fucking stuck in guys all day long getting one man cleans and vilanu um making real breaks towards the end as well like he was pushing really hard um, I liked that sort of inside or outside center position he started taking up rather than being purely on the edge he beats guys and he's got the pace to accelerate away from fellas um, very exciting great performance from him um, I also felt that Alex Kendallin played really really well when he came on played with a bit of fucking spite a bit of venom in his carries a bit of fuck you in his tackles his breakdown work was sharp as well um but like you know again I, a lot of the bench i felt didn't massively impact Stephen archer i felt was the best at the front row replacements although to be fair scott buckley as well caught with one really harsh not straight call from the referee there were some baffling ones there from from him to be fair but um scott buckley looked looked physical in places which is good josh richerly some good moments some other moments that like I, I did a breakdown run through today where i'm just wanting a little bit of impact a little bit of fucking violence there didn't get it um, but again I rated him three stars so like not, not, a, not a poor performance by any means uh, but Craig Casey for me um, almost like, like I would have given him five stars had he been on a little bit earlier um, but he was outstanding came on he was cajoling guys he was getting fucking stuck in fellas to uh, twice his height um, playing with a bit of energy like yeah he got turned over on that tap and go but he's trying to inject a bit of pace a bit of tempo to get guys up like he's got that Ronan O'Gara trait where he'll go in and get stuck in fellas and get you know shoved around a little bit and that'll draw other guys in to get the blood up and start playing um he gets it this guy gets it but not only that he's a fucking great scrum half you look at his passing you look at his breaking that he does yeah look he got caught on one of them 
but he's constantly trying and he's building a video evidence for himself to go this guy breaks you have to watch this guy when he breaks to create space for himself two games down the road he gets this game he gets what he's supposed to be doing here and when he came on it looked like a fucking captain had walked onto the field the attitude changed the the crowd were up he was getting people into the game his pass accuracy was great Calvin Nash doesn't score that try with any other scrum half except Craig Casey throwing that pass to him great game scored a try as well that was a fucking captain's performance from Craig Casey played very very well and uh, I get why Paddy Patterson started I think it was the right decision to start him but it turns out Paddy Patterson had a bad game that happens Craig Casey if he'd started who knows but he played like a leader gave real energy off the bench and that's exactly exactly what we wanted um rg looked good off the bench as well um i would like to see him uh starting with john clayne because again i felt that by replacing clayne with snayman you're not getting the same effect as if you've got two super heavyweight tight head locks on at the same time you're not getting the physical platform that i suppose that you want you're just replacing one with the other one is an, an, an ultra elite level guy won a world cup Sean Clayton's a very good player but RG Snayman is a guy who gives you that power as well but when you're playing them alongside a guy who if he was in the back row could be a, a heavy combo flanker in uh, Finney Witcherly I don't think you're getting that forward platform I would like to see Clayton and Snayman playing alongside each other starting alongside each other to give us that forward platform I think those two guys can certainly do it but we'll see if that happens this weekend or on uh, the next couple of weekends to come but yeah um yeah other than that I thought like you know like a poor enough performance in the forwards um but Gavin Coombs got a lot of criticism um I think he actually played all right <laughs> he scored a try you know he maybe could have had a second um he was putting himself about there um he had some good passes he looked good in, in in flashes but i think people have this unrealistic expectation for him that because people are saying that he should be involved with ireland that he should have to play like five star plus games every single week and the minute he doesn't do that well what did i tell you rubbish shouldn't be anywhere near a green jersey it's not how it works typically and that's something I think that, that I, I got a lot of in my mentions at, uh, over the weekend about how, um, you know, well, these guys, were, were they were supposed to be playing for Ireland, but they're not playing very well in this moment or in this game. Like, yeah, okay. But, you know, it, the game was a little bit more complex than that. I felt John Hodner, for example, played very, very well in a team and in a pack that wasn't playing well. So I think that, for example, counts for an awful lot. But... Uh, one of the one of the questions I got about this uh, on the f- uh, Five Star Podcast question channel on the TRK Secret Club is, Tom, do you think Ireland do... Um, oh, no, sorry, that's a, a bit late. Sorry, I will get to that another day. Alex Fulton said, Tom, from tonight, we've seen Carberry is not the man to build around going forward. Once his contract is up, would you renew him for much cheaper as a squad player or look to bring someone else in as that second choice and then build around Crowley? And if signing someone new, who would it be? Well... Uh, Joey Carberry's contract uh, is over at the um, end of next season, right, after the World Cup. That's a very specific time for a contract to be ending. Uh, As we saw in the news this week, uh, Johnny Sexton, who I almost for some reason called Jack Charlton, I'm not sure what's going on here, um, is out for the rest of Leinster's season with a groin injury he picked up in the Six Nations. Um that's a worry from an Irish perspective first of all um because look you never, you never like to see guys going out not on their own terms from an injury perspective look it happened to Paul O'Connell um but it happened at, at a World Cup um if Johnny Sexton gets injured in his last game for Ireland in a Grand Slam win over England fair enough great stuff but uh he doesn't want to go out that way and Ireland need him to not go out that way he is vital for this Irish team but he now, I think, is going for surgery. But either way, he's not very likely to miss the end of Leinster season. Now, this gives uh, Leinster, and I suppose, and Ireland as well, an opportunity to really assess Ross Byrne as being the guy when it comes to playing super elite opposition. I sp- and one of the because I was speaking to the coach that I was speaking about, we mainly spoke about Johnny Sexton and Ireland about what the read on Ireland was um, in France and what his opinion was was very interesting. 
in that he felt that Johnny Sexton at the moment, you can tell that Ireland have limited or, or looked to reduce elements of his involvement. Previously, it, it used to be that wherever Johnny was, that's where the ball was going. Ireland have reduced that now, but it's almost like it's reduced by dividing it. And if you divide back, the zero there is still Johnny Sexton. He is still a guy who is driving the team around the field, who is navigating phase to phase, who is telling guys where to go, who is scheming and who is playing. And who is, like, I mean, this is a guy who is saying that when you have a player like Johnny Sexton who has a decade or more of top level video on him, where guys are intimately aware of what he does and doesn't do, Johnny Sexton understands this and plays accordingly in that he's very difficult to game plan for. So what thought the thinking was is that if you can get Johnny Sexton off the field and this was a case of like not fucking clotheslining him or you know doing a fucking elbow drop off the top of a lineout on him but like if you can fuck hit him hard in the tackle if he's you know running with the ball you punish him if you get a chance to run him over on the on the off the lineout or off the scrum you run into him hard you make him tackle you you you, you make him feel that pressure um and look to try and get him off the field that way because he's you know, being forced off the field from her fairly regular collisions over the last year or two. That's the feeling that if you take him off, he is a status multiplier. That he affects and increases the ability of those around him. There's the general sort of belief thing, which I suppose is, is, is an intangible. You can't really quantify how much belief you get from playing with like a living legend like Johnny Sexton, who has literally done it all. You can't quantify what it's like to sit in a dressing room with that guy, knowing you're going out to play with him. It's because he will be in the like it's different. It's different from the fella sitting in the dressing room in the tracksuit, and who who he's talking about it because you still got to go out there and do it. If you're a player like an Irish player or a Leinster player over the last number of years, and you're in a bad place in a game like Exeter away in that quarter final uh, back in two years ago, right? They were losing that game. They went 14 nil down or something early on. You turn around and you look at Johnny Sexton, who's fucking laying down the law and who's talking and telling you what's happening next. You believe him. So if he's telling you this is what we're doing next, you believe him. And then he constantly makes big plays also. So he's just not one of those guys who is fucking ranting and raving and fucking, you know, throwing the boot against the wall inside in the dressing room and then coming out and playing like, you know, playing like shit. That's never Johnny Sexton. That's never Sexton. Even when he's not playing well, he makes big plays. That's why he's so good. He doesn't always play a fucking five-star game, but he always makes big plays. Always. Because he's got an aura about him. And it's when, you, when you talk about auras, when you talk about like the guy's personality and their charisma, it feels like you're talking about horoscopes, right? Like it's, like it's nonsense that it like, you know, that it, it doesn't matter, right? Like, why should his personality matter? Why should his character matter? Why should his aura matter? Like, if you have a mood ring, can you tell how Johnny's how, how Johnny's feeling? If Johnny's togged out, he's pissed off, okay? That's how he's feeling. But that sort of um, aura, I'm going to say it again, that's important for big winning teams. They drive guys and they increase the ability of players in ways that they only realize when he's gone, when he's not there. And, like... The Leinster will beat most of the teams they play this season. But the problem comes when they play a serious team. In Europe, probably more than likely. And there's some very serious questions that are there. Johnny Sexton usually has all the answers. Does Ross Byrne have the answers? Do the players believe in Ross Byrne in the same way that they believe in Johnny Sexton? I don't know. This coach felt... That if you can get him off the field, whoever comes on, that level of belief isn't there. You could say like like that, that the level of ability isn't there to a certain extent, but like all players have different qualities. Like Ross Byrne is is a good player, like he really is. But does he have the like I like the authentic belief that do they have that belief in him that when the going gets tough, you know, looking over Johnny Sexton. I know that guy can pull something out of the hat because he's done it over decades and he's won everything. The question is, when that's when Johnny Sexton's not there and you you're, you're you're in the shit in the game and you look over your shoulder 
and you're looking at somebody who isn't Johnny Sexton, do you still have that belief? And I don't know. And there was this coach's contention. You'll, you'll see bits and pieces of this interview over the summer. You'll see whether he was right or whether he was wrong. But the I suppose the point of it was that without that guy on the field, um, that leaves space for if we'll say, for example, he misses the World Cup, God forbid, right? That brings Ross Byrne into the fray, brings Joe, uh, Jack Crowley into the play, and it does bring Joey Carberry back into the in, into the fray also. As I was saying there at the start of that uh, bit, um, Carberry's contract is out at the end of 2024. Um, if he does not play a big role in either the... And I, again, I think he has to do it by the World Cup. If he does not play a big part in that World Cup, um, I think he'll find it very, very difficult to get um, a contract on even remotely the same terms for um, for Munster. Um, Joy Car- or, uh, Jack Crowley rather is a guy who is involved in Ireland at the moment, who has been ID'd as a guy within the Irish system, as somebody who they want to invest in. That puts a lot of pressure straight away on Joey Carberry because he is he was that guy and now he's not which again means that there's not an inflated contract because it's certainly less than what he was on, which was significant. It's less than that now. I think, you know, to improve as a team, you need to keep good players in your squad as much as possible. You know, I think that certainly in the aftermath of games like this, you know, you'd be going, well, this guy's contract shouldn't be there at all. It's never really about guys who are good players and who are decent guys, but no more than that. They're grand and you, everybody, every team needs them. It's about making sure you've got the right guys in the right leadership roles and quality when you need it. Um, and I think with Joey Carberry, he's capable of quality. Um, we've seen that over the last number. Of, I think even since he's come back from injury, he's shown moments of quality. But it comes down to the fact that do you build around that guy as 10? And I'm, I'm not sure you do. Uh, like I'm not sure you can look at the last number of years and say with any certainty that if we back this guy as our 10, we're winning a trophy. I don't think you can say that, you know, as good as he is. And like, he reminds me as a guy now who can be a really good facilitator. But even then, like you see aspects in his passing that for me isn't what it needs to be at this stage in his career. Like you'd ask me, who's a sharper, better passer, Ross Byrne or Joey Carberry? And the answer is Ross Byrne every time he's a sharper passer. And like, yeah, he might not be as explosive or elusive. You put Ross Byrne one-on-one with Joey Carberry and put a ball in one of their hands and see, well, who beats the other? It'd be Joy Carberry. But you look at Ross Byrne, his pass quality, his his accuracy there, whatever about his ability to read and manipulate defenses over over you know a three or four phase span, that's one thing. But like his actual pass action, his handling generally is really, really good. His kicking is good, his decision making is good. That to me is uh, you know, I think something that's with regards to the question there, like I think a lot of it depends on his importance to Ireland at the time. And if Jack Crowley, for example, goes to the World Cup and gets some good minutes there, he's going to come out as being the, like that. That first Six Nations after the World Cup, and it just depends. Like if jo- if Johnny makes the World Cup, which has to be a question mark now, that's something that we have to look at and go look. Uh, this is far from a certainty, and um, I think Joey Carberry being as far down the rankings as he seems to be at the moment, nationally speaking, um, could be bad news for him at the end of that contract because like they'll be negotiating that contract from around November December on maybe after the World Cup they'll have a good idea what's going on then um, if he's not playing a part in that Six Nations after the World Cup where Johnny won't be there anymore one way or the other I mean that in itself is an answer um, where he becomes an incredibly expensive guy to keep on if he is not in Ireland's plans at all um, and if there's other guys who've stepped in ahead of him because it feels like um, Ireland are more invested in Jack Crowley they're more invested in Ross Byrne they're more invested in uh, Kieran Frawley um, then you've got guys like you know Harry Byrne who's still there you've got guys like Sam Prendergast who's a long way off at this stage but he's on the radar now nationally speaking and if you're Joy Carberry and I suppose if you're Munster as well you have to ask yourself like with how expensive that contract is how much is that worth if Jack Crowley is the guy with the international we'll say he's on the track internationally. Um, that's the, the big question there. So thank you very much for that game. I think, look, I think first of all, I'll sum it up on, on that game. 
Munster are better than that performance suggests. Uh, I think that it was an aberration. I think that they got their prep wrong. Um, I think that they needed a few, a bit more size. A couple of fellas weren't ready. But um, I'm not looking at that and going, oh, it's back to the bad old days. I think Munster, because of that game, would be better served this coming weekend against the Sharks. Um, maybe there was one eye on that game. Maybe there was. I'm not sure. But like I think that it could, in the long term, serve as something positive. But it was nothing but a negative on the night. And um, yeah, uh, one, again, that I hope to forget pretty soon so yeah just uh, I'm going to move on to my next section now about the uh, Irish in their 20s from a Munster perspective um, Brian Gleeson and Ruan Quinn were the massive standouts for me over the course of that game or of that tournament uh, Ireland won a Grand Slam in the Six Nations of course um, and I've had a lot of questions from people just kind of going look what's the, what's the crack with you know this this under 26 Nations team is this the best under 20s like group we've ever had over the last two seasons and look, they've won a lot, but like it comes down then to like, what do you expect your under twenties to be? What is their function of the Irish under twenty team? And I would say that look, winning the trophy is obviously great, but for me, it's about developing future professionals, guys who can be the elite of the elite in a few years. And I'm looking at this Irish team. I'm thinking, who are the guys who stick out to me there as being elite level players? Who could be elite level players, we'll say, in the next two to three years? Not that many. There's a few who I think have potential. Um, But I went back and I looked at the Irish in their 20 team from 2016. Who, by the way, won nothing. They won nothing. They got into a final with England in the uh, under 20 World Championships after beating the All Blacks. Um, on the way there, the, the baby blacks, whatever you call them. And um, they were blown out of it by England in that game, right? This is the English team that blew them out of it, right? Now, stop me when you hear or you see an elite level test caliber guy who's proven at test level. Max Mallins, you stop me there. And you're right, he has played a lot of rugby for Saracens and for England. That's a really good player. Sam Aspland Robinson. Joe Marchant, didn't he play Test Rugby relatively recently? Yes, he did. He was playing for England against, um, I think it was either Ireland or the, the game before against France. A good player, I would say not elite, certainly not at the moment, but a good player playing at a high level for Harlequins. Let's go on to the next one. Johnny Williams. Do you think he doesn't he play for Wales now? Yes, he does, kind of, sometimes. Yeah, uh, he's playing with the Scarlets at the moment. Not massively... Um, on the radar with regards to being a top level player but he's there certainly Matt Gallagher you stopped me again didn't he play for Munster yes he did he played for Munster for two seasons uh, blighted by injury um, but and uh, he's back with Bath now but a good player certainly wouldn't say he's in the, that elite level conversation but there you go um, Harry Malander Harry Malander you're thinking I know that guy and you go yeah he's with Northampton Hasn't really pushed on at all and is a non-factor really at test level. Max Green. Lewis Boyce. Jack Singleton. It's like you're thinking, wait, is he still involved at test level for England? Uh, He has played a good number of games for for England uh, over the last number of years. Uh, I think he's back playing with Gloucester now. Um, uh, Looking at this, I think he's only played four caps for England. I'm thinking of the guy who's playing for... um, for Saracens, which could be this guy, um, but again, he's not a guy who's had a massive career to date. Maybe that'll change. Billy Walker, Stan South, Hugh Taylor, George Nor, not Will Evans. Do you think doesn't he play for Harlequins? Yeah, he does. Callum Chick. None of them stand out. Um, there's other guys who were in the wider squad, like Zach Mercer. You've heard of him. Jack Willis, you've definitely heard of him. Ollie Thorley, you've heard, you've heard of him. But a bunch of other guys that are there. Like, that's not necessarily a team that stands out as being, like, a massive success from a test-level perspective. If we go back to Ireland's under-20 squad from 2016, bear in mind, this team won nothing, finished third in the Six Nations that year, and got blown out of it by that England team in the, the under-20 World Championship final. Um, Stephen Cairns Connacht you've heard of him Bill Johnston 
he's playing with he was playing with Ealing I'm not sure if he is anymore but for a while there pre-injury he was doing pretty well and was a guy who had um, a big upside prior to those injuries Johnny McPhillips played a bit for Ulster not sure if he's still with them or not Conor O'Brien has got a number of games for Leinster uh, was in that conversation there he was like one of those players who was playing really well for a while I don't think he has any test representation Shane Daly current starter for Ireland or for Munster has Ireland caps Jimmy O'Brien Leinster has a ton of Leinster caps uh, become a really important player for him over the last number of years and was involved with the Irish Grand Slam team a couple of, year, a couple of weeks ago Paul Kiernan one of those guys who had a lot of potential at, uh, at underage but never really worked out for him um, at senior level Jacob Stockdale had one of the best breakout couple of seasons of any young player ever in Ireland was on a central contract as of uh, this season not sure if he still is or not um, but has scored some massive tries for Ireland and was a really important player for Ireland for a number of years prior to a number of inju- injuries Terry Kennedy he's off playing uh, one of the best sevens players that Ireland have ever had Hugo Keenan hmm Hugo Keenan one of the best fullbacks in the world at the moment and uh, a core player for this Ireland team and for Leinster as well and honestly he's one of the, one of the best players in the world at the moment and Matthew Byrne um, haven't seen a whole lot of this guy in the inter- intervening years in the forwards Andrew Porter one of the best players in the world um, a, went from tight head went from loose head to tight head back to loose head uh, a vital player for Ireland and for Leinster James Bollard haven't seen much of him Vak Abdeladze uh, still a core player for, well not a core player he's still getting caps for Leinster he's being capped for Georgia in the interim Adam McBurney um, is with Edinburgh now but had a decent career with Ulster before he left Vincent O'Brien didn't work out for him at Munster uh, he's playing well he was playing with Carcon. not sure what he's doing now Connor Kenny Ben Betts Killian Gallagher with Connacht he was there for a while with oh, James Ryan James Ryan a guy who's arguably in the running to be Irish captain in the in the intervening years uh, played a ton of rugby for Ireland a vital player in the squad vital player for Leinster um, Sean O'Connor um, played a number of caps for Munster before he got injured and kind of slipped off the radar um, Evan Mintern I think he's playing he was back playing AIL there recently he's, he's, he was playing in New York too so I'm not sure what he's doing now uh, Greg Jones he's currently playing AIL but uh, played a lot of rugby for Ulster before that uh, at pro level Will Connors Ireland caps playing with Leinster you know bedeviled with injuries but a really good player Max Deegan got injured um, a few times over the last number of years but he was under 20 player at a tournament and uh, has got Ireland caps and is still in that conversation as a fella who can have a great test career then you have Kelvin Brown who's currently playing with Shannon and then David Aspel from St Mary's I'm not sure what he's doing these I think he's actually playing AIL now that I think about it I think so who had the better return from their under 20 classes in that six in, in that six nations spell was it England or was it Ireland it was Ireland for me winning under 20 grand slams is great look it's fun it's great for the younger players but in the longer term the aims we have to have here are these teams producing guys who can be elite level pro players not who can win five games in a row in you know against teams who are like varying levels of prep you know like Wales and Scotland are um, not great at the moment England are a bit up and down um, France are like they have good years and bad years guys coming in from tons of different clubs from all over the place so like Ireland are beating these teams like the the prep that Ireland have the cohesion that Ireland have at under 20 level is comparable to uh, the test team how many of that Ireland team that are there at the moment how many of those guys are going to make top level professionals that's my view of success with these guys I think there's maybe three or four out of this group who can become really top level players there'll be some good pros added in there as well but that to me like Ireland played really well they scored some lovely tries they put away the teams they needed to put away with varying levels of of of, of competency and style um but I want to see these guys go on to be the top players they should be I think the big candidates for me are um Sam Prendergast if he can get the minutes Brian Gleeson, Ruan Quinn, and one or two others, like I think um, Gus McCarthy, I think Paddy McCarthy as well, or is it Gus Harrington? I think it is. Yeah. Either way, those guys have potential as well. 
Um, but you know the other guys, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But I think they're the top guys from that group. And success for me is those becoming top level players for their provinces and top level players for Ireland. That's the measure of success. So Grand Slams are one part of it. How many of these guys are going to be coming? Like, what's their upside? Are these guys going to improve to the stage where they go beyond being able to win an under twenty six nations? Which, like I said, is fine. But like, think about the you know like Ireland's Grand Slams like last year and then the one back in twenty nineteen whatever else. Like, how important do they feel now? We need to get these guys playing Test rugby and get them funneling upwards. Um, that's my measure of success. But overall, good tournament. Some great young players there. Um, but yeah, raw. We need to see a lot of those guys playing uh, a little bit more over the next coming years. I think we certainly will with Brian Cleese and Ruan Quinn. Um, but with a couple of others, they've got decisions to make, I would say, coming up over the next number of years. And uh, then finally, on to the Irish women uh, who lost comprehensively to Wales uh, in Wales on Saturday. I was watching the tail end of this game um, in the stadium. Um, I watched the first bit of it before I left home. Ireland looked really poor. And I think judging this Ireland team at the moment on performances, like I think they're going to be bad for a while. They've got a massive game coming up against uh, France this weekend, which honestly, I don't see anything other than a massive French win. But these girls have spirit. These girls won't go down without without a fight. My problem is is that I don't feel at the moment that they have the experience or they have the size and conditioning to trouble a team like France seriously. Um, like France could show up and play really poorly and lose this game, but I don't see that happening. And I think that at the moment for this Irish women's team, it's going to get um, a lot worse before it gets better. I think the main aim here with both the contracting that's gone in over the last year and the selection policies that they've looked at is that they want to build Team Ireland, RFC, in the same way that Ireland have kind of almost, they've, they've stumbled upon at test level with Leinster. My read on the situation is, is that they want to build from here with the mostly pro-contracted contracted players that they have get those people into a team, get them training together regularly, get them playing together regularly, and in a year, they will be more cohesive, they will be um, fitter, they will be stronger, they will know each other very well, and they'll be a far more cohesive unit when it comes to finishing third in the Six Nations, which I think is the, ult- is, is the midterm aim for this group. At the moment, this season... I think Ireland will be doing very well to avoid the wooden spoon. That game against um, Scotland at the the last game of the season, I think, could end up being a, a wooden spoon playoff. Um, but Scotland are in a bad place, but Ireland are in a bad place as well. There's, there's good players there. Like, I've watched a lot of these players every week, multiple times. Like, I've watched all their games because I do the highlights for the RFU. So I've seen all of these games. Like, I would say at the moment that the AIL... Um, for the women is not a high level competition there are a number of super clubs well there are two super clubs there really there are um, Railway there are there is Black Rock and you might have Old Belvedere and um, UL Bulls in that kind of conversation below there but like Railway and Black Rock if everything goes to, to, to performance and everything goes to the level over the next number of years they will play each other in the, the final of the AIL forever for the next number of years at least anyway they have all the best players and they're a level above the teams that are in the league and like that just is what it is at the moment and you look at well how do you fix that it's incredibly complex like railway and black rock have unbelievable depth and like you know because it's, it's a great place to play rugby and to learn rugby and railway like great system great training they win um, great environment Blackrock as well they've got great players there as well um, UL are better I think than their results that they showed for most of the season they started to turn it around as the year went on um, but like with regards to playing internationally it's about getting these players up to the level that they need to be because levels are increasing in the test game in the women's in, in, in the women's uh, code of rugby like they're getting better every year and at the moment Ireland are not in that conversation 
So France and England are getting better. Wales are getting better. Italy are getting better. Ireland at the moment are at are at the ground floor. So like, this will be a tough Six Nations while basically they get professionalism like in the door and get it sorted and get people in a system and a schedule where you can be a pro athlete for a year. I think the best place to judge this team will be next season um, in the Six Nations of 2024. But um, there's going to be a lot of pain to get to that point, I feel. So, yeah, I hope to do better against France, but at the moment I, I can't really see it. So thank you very much for joining me on this five-star podcast. I'll be back with TRK Mailbag. Um, I'll be back with Rugby Basics this week. So if you have any questions for Rugby Basics, send them in at info at um, I'll have a Jackal article. I will have the work rate article on the 10 euro tier coming out this week, as well as the first Spice Box, which is coming up on Thursday in the build-up to the game against the Sharks. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.